walking back to the car in the brightest noon sunlight, May 31st felt a little surreal. All over the country, news of protests that had erupted into violence over police brutality in hundreds of cities did not quite match the mood in my town. Instead, people gathered in the public square for what was deemed in big letters on handouts an ecumenical day of prayer. Faith leaders, both black and white, from different religions and colorful robes, led prayers for healthcare workers in the midst of COVID-19, for our sheriff's office to be guided by wisdom in their law enforcement, and to end the scourge of racism in 2020. Folks bowed heads and bent their knees. The names of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd were invoked often in a reverent cadence. There were families listening while picnicked on a blanket, with takeout boxes from Zaxby's dotting the ground for their children to graze. There was a peaceful, socially distanced scatter around the park. Candidates for mayor in heavy suits, the current county sheriff with a warm smile on his face, punky-looking college kids in t-shirts and provocative signs, a group of black women adorned in masks emblazoned with I can't breathe and rhinestones, all mingled in the crowd, elbow bumping, taking selfies in arrangements that may seem surprising. On that uphill battle, back to the car in the sweltering heat, my companion softly said to me in his native Georgia twang, Yup, Macon just hits different. And that's the thing. Macon does hit different. It's deep in the geological center of Georgia. It's just a short drive to Atlanta or Savannah or Columbus or Augusta or Valdosta or Athens. But despite being in the middle of everything... There's a scrappiness that Macon can't seem to shake. Unlike those cities, people on the outside don't seem to know much about what we call the heart of Georgia. They don't know our story. Maybe because we're in the middle, we're sandwiched in. People here, though, they understand. We say this is the city where soul lives. And nobody exemplifies that transcendent factor better than the queer black man from Macon, Georgia, who grew up to be the architect of rock and roll, Little Richard. He said at one point, I love Macon. I love it better than anywhere I've been in my life. And the energy that pulses in his piano, that's the heart of Georgia. That eclectic call of a wop bop a bop in its time, a battle cry that pierced post-war normcore in middle America, that's the soul we feel in Macon. There's a traceable history, 17,000 years long, that swirls into today's columned front porches and contradictions, charms and challenges. That would take too long to call out in any single story. So, we have a few for you. This show is going to aim to deconstruct Macon magic through the voices of the people who've been here. We gather these tall tales from storytellers Macon, 
a grassroots organization that started with bonfire circles and grew to monthly narrative shows at a bar that has a mythos all its own, Grant's Lounge. We recorded a blend of the best of what Storytellers has heard over the years with new voices scraped from every neighborhood and group we could think to ask and presented them all live on stage in a partnership with the Grand Opera House, a historic theater downtown that is currently the performing arts presenter of Mercer University. So go ahead and relax. Imagine century-old homes with gingerbread trim and heart pine floors. But some of them are falling apart. Biscuit sandwiches with pimento cheese served in a no-frills dining room with linoleum floors and hard plastic chairs. A square named after Rosa Parks in direct sight of a tribute to Confederate women. Yoshino cherry trees and azaleas everywhere. A humid July, where five minutes outside makes the shirt stick to your back. Feel the rhythm. This is the heartbeat of Georgia. I'm Julia Rubens. And I'm Corin Young. Tonight we're going to share two stories from our Macon Magic event on September 26th at the Grand that featured Macon Music. Have you ever met someone and you don't actually remember the moment you met? I don't know the moment I met Molly Wilkins. She's just always been a familiar face in my circles. Molly's story is called Brag Jam 2015. I remember that night very well, and in my mind, even if she wasn't there, she definitely would have been there. Our second story is by Edward Grant called This Is What 50 Looks Like. We're also going to share a few of our favorite stories of music and magic in between. Part 1 our first night in Macon. Hey, Julia. Hey, Corin. How are you? I'm having a good night. I mean, I'm excited about all the stuff we have going on. So we were talking about um, earlier this week, um, sort of our first time coming to Macon, like our first time living here and, and what, you know, how we got here. And I wonder what is your first Night in Macon like. So it wasn't that long ago. Uh, it was only in 2019, as you know. It wasn't it wasn't too long ago that I moved here, but it was a really amazing evening in downtown Macon that really truly cemented my decision to come here. So mm-hmm. I came down here completely blind and I knew nothing about Macon. The best way to do it. Completely blind. Like <laughs> I could tell you I really knew nothing and no one from Macon. And the people that I knew who were from Georgia went you when I told them that I was thinking about moving to Macon. So I come down for this job interview and I'm going all around town. It's less like an interview where you just walk in and you do a panel or you go out and more like a two day, like getting to know you. We went to Dovetail, which is an amazing restaurant here. And it's sort of like- Delicious. Tucked away Mm -hmm. on an upper floor and it's fine dining and it's really beautiful. And it was sort of like a really, just warm meal. It made you feel warm. And I stumble out of there and I see in the alleyways, you know, of downtown, the little twinkly lights that they place in the alleyways. And I just, I knew that this was like the right place. We really know how to make you swoon. That's, that's our goal is to, we want you to stay. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like it was, it felt really uh, like romanticized of almost like what is the perfect, charming little downtown going to be like? 
And the part that makes me laugh, and this is a story, I think I've told you this before, but this is a really funny moment, was that I was wearing this polka dotted kind of shawl kimono thing. And I was just walking down the street and I hear a guy who's playing guitar on the street call out to me. And I was thinking immediately, coming oh, from cities. yeah, because you're a lady and, you know, you've walked down <laughs> well, the street your whole life. Exactly. You know what it's like. So you know where I'm going with this, especially because you've, like, lived in New York and stuff like that. It's like, so coming from living in, like, you know, D.C. and Baltimore, New York and stuff, it was like, oh, clearly I know where this is going, you know. And he goes, I love the polka dots. I love the polka dots. It reminds me of my favorite band. And then he just starts talking about his favorite band. Oh. And I was just taken aback in this moment because I had actually, I don't think I'd ever had just these random, like a street conversation with a stranger where they weren't asking for money or trying to hit on you or, or wanting something out or of hey you. Or hey girl, smile, what you got, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, he just wanted to share this fact with me and truly compliment me on the polka dots. So I just left that interaction being like, there is this feeling of respect or, and now I have all those little moments all the time with strangers or anything downtown, like on the street. I feel like it happens so, so often. So to that guy, to that musician on the street corner, thank you for not messing it up for Macon, because if you had been that guy, we may not have Julia Rubens hanging out with us. Yeah, so so that first night Macon really set the tone. So, so my first night at Macon was a little different. I'd been, I'd actually been here a few times because I was moving to Macon to move in with my partner, Nathan. But uh, it was a little shocking because I hadn't um, really been in Macon over the summer. Um, so I, I'd been here a few times over the summer, but I was moving here uh, the last weekend in July. And uh, the very cool thing is, is my girlfriends from New York uh, Sandra Piscatelli and <laughs> Kelly Caruso. You're they, really setting the scene. I did. Of, like, I did. Coming from Staten Island, Staten Island, New to York. Macon, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And uh, my best girlfriends packed me up in the car, and it happened to be Brag Jam weekend. And we're three women. You know, we're in our early 30s. We're three women from New York. We know how to get dressed, and we know how to go out, and we know how to we know how to figure it out. We know how to wear the shoes and the we outfits. Understand the clubbing we, thing and the scene, standing know, in line. We know how to do this. It's not. We know how to go out to dinner before, and then you know, go to a few bars and have a good night and meet a lot of people. Um, but no, no, we did not know how to do this night. Um, so we get dressed up and we go downtown and we walk downtown and we realize about, um, halfway down that nothing is going to look the same as when we left. So we are, we are melting. There is makeup running down our faces. Our hair has uh, tripled in size. It's so big. We are sweating. We, because everything is sticking to you, you just naturally feel fat. Like you just feel like everything sort of like wailing down the street yeah. with that like like the sort of like you can't you can barely move your legs yeah. kind your of legs feeling. are walking yeah. but your thighs are doing yeah they're just thing. sticking yeah. together so so we we get downtown and and the three of us are basically completely we completely have no idea what's happening or what's going on or how to fix it we just know that we're going to see live music and also at the time, a lot of the bars didn't have running air conditioning in the middle of summer. So we go out to eat. Our hair is big. And then <laughs> the three of us were standing on the street sort of discussing how terrible we feel, how our makeup's running. Right. Nobody's makeup look good. Everybody's hair is big. Our 
thighs are sticking together. We're just uncomfortable. And down the street in front of us walks a gaggle of middle Georgia women. And I and I say women, I say they're probably in their middle, you know, mid-20s, early 30s. This gaggle of women who look like they can't tell there's humidity happening around them and their hair is perfect and their makeup is good and their outfits are adorable and their little sundresses are set perfectly. And I just remember Sandra Piscatelli going, F them. <laughs> and and we all just, it was just, it's just how we felt. We were just so angry that we didn't understand how to walk through the humidity. And that was Brag Jam Brag Jam Weekend 2008, if you oh can believe gosh. it. I can believe so, it. <laughs> yeah. Well, now the good part of this, the good, the fun part of this, you know, that Brag Jam was my first night living in, in Macon, Georgia, is I actually uh, was on the board for seven years. So not only did it welcome me in, but I also got to be a part of the Brag Jam family. It came full circle and it came full circle for storytellers as absolutely, well. Absolutely, absolutely. And that is where our next storyteller, Molly Wilkins, is going to tell her story about Brag Jam 2015, which incidentally I was at. So enjoy the story and we'll be back. Part two, Brag Jam 2015. There are many examples of what makes Macon special. Lots of cool restaurants, this beautiful historic downtown, the bustling nightlife. But I think we can all agree what makes Macon special, magical, if you will, are the people. Sometimes these people are here for a moment, sometimes for forever. This is a story about that. There's one night in particular which captures the magic of Macon and its people for me. Brag Jam 2015, Macon's most popular music festival. Now, if you've lived in Macon long enough, you've likely been to Brag Jam. I have several, I've been to several. The very first one I went to ages ago in the parking lot of the El Azteca on Tom Hill across from the Kroger. There's the Ellen and Danger Cam moments, the epic patrons parties that last long into the evening the night before and rising early the next day for the kids fest. The hydration stations. If you know, then you know. This particular brag jam for me was a hectic one. For some stupid reason, I had chosen to move into a new home that day. The first home that was mine after my divorce, away from my parents' house where I had sought a temporary refuge. But I would take a break to head downtown. I was working for a Southern Culture website at the time, and I could chalk it up to not just a night of fun, but also getting in some work, getting photographs and videos. There were a lot of great moments at this festival as I rushed through taking photographs. Robert Lee Coleman, Abby Owens, Louise Warren, Empire Strikes Bass. <laughs> but the paramount performance was the Flaco Torres show. Flaco was one of our local artists, but for me, he was a friend. And this was going to be a big show for him. This is the Brag Jam right before Angel left, before Stacy left, before Jonathan, Jen, Melanie, and Roger left. In fact, selfies with Roger was a thing during this Brag Jam. You had to get in line early for this one in order to get a spot. I'm pretty sure I left a very packed show at the Capitol Theater. It was either for Moon Taxi or the Future Birds. 
I don't know, the details are fuzzy. I was so busy running around. I wanted to be sure that I had a place up close for photos and videos. I'm able to squeeze my way up to the front. This was a different show for Flacco. He's got a band behind him. It's not the usual set. Gravy is there playing the bass. Chris is there on guitar. Vincent, a leadership-making class of 2014 classmate of mine, the only class that matters. He is there on the trumpet. Flacco's got multiple guest vocalists and they're performing tracks from this album he produced with Slim and it's jamming the whole time. Last, but of course not least, Flacco gets to my favorite of his songs, Catch Me. I've watched him perform this song countless times and it'll never get old. Kind of like the time Tess and I were jumping around like absolute fools to it among the stately patrons of the Make and Pop show. In my frenzy of getting photos, I start to look around as he's singing and rapping and I realize everyone is here. Chris, Josie, Heather, Mariana, Justin, Aaron, Corn, more people than I can even name. Everyone who is about to leave us and those who are going to stay. Flacco is singing, I said we can't stop, won't stop, headed to the top, urging the crowd on and on as he repeats the refrain over and over, he leans forward. And as he is doing so, I'm videotaping with one hand and shooting stills with the other. He reaches behind him to slow his band down and he urges the crowd on to complete the verse, headed to the top. And it is this perfect moment. That night was a paradigm shift for me. All of these people had been there for me as I was negotiating the awkward forces surrounding a very public, very ugly divorce. We would go to Mercer's first football game together, go to basketball games and concerts, hang out with Roger and Melanie and the others at Dovetail until after all the fancy people were gone. They were there as I tried to figure out just who the hell I was as I went back to college, started a business, finally fulfilling some, unperceived, some perceived promise that I had left undone for so long. These were the people who became mine like no one else had before. They were the people who made up this quirky downtown making scene. They were the artists, the bartenders, college professors, who lived and loved downtown before every building had a pristine loft above it. The people who didn't quite fit in with the square pegs of other places. The people who were like me. Even in that moment, I felt it. It was palatable. Some of us were moving on to other things, other places. Some of us, like me and my new home in my hometown, we're doing so while remaining here. We were heading to the top. After Flacco's performance, I remember walking out and Roger saying, in case I don't see you again, and I don't remember what else he said. I choked up and barely spoke as I walked away. I am not good with goodbyes. So I walk to my car alone with the twinkling street lights that hover over our alleyways, sparkling down around me. Eventually, others would leave as well. 
Flacco himself would have his last brag jam the following year. Slim would leave. Chris would leave. Angel to Alaska. Chris to France. Stacy and Jonathan, Nashville. Jen, San Francisco. Melanie, New Jersey. Slim, Los Angeles. Roger, Josie, and Flacco. Akron, Ohio. Everyone was growing up and moving on, but taking a piece of that Macon magic with them, bringing us along for their ride as well. I am now in this part of life where my children have taken over, and I'm glad for it. I go to bed early and I awake even earlier. Priorities have changed, but the magic of that night will forever remain. There's another group now to carry the torch, and I am happy to watch it burn. Part three, how did this come to be? I hope you enjoy that fabulous story by Molly Wilkins about Brag Jam 2015 and one of our favorites, Mr. Flacco Torres. Awesome. So I think we want to just tell you, since this is our first episode um, of several, and we're going to have a whole season for you, a little bit about why we came to doing this project and what it's all about. Absolutely. I had been putting storytellers together for quite some time and uh, building a group of people that were like-minded and wanted to participate in storytellers making. Uh, and then you came to me and said, I would like to have a meeting with you. And I'd only met you one time. One time, which well, was mm -hmm. at Storytellers. And I ambushed Corin. This is true facts, is that afterwards, I, so I, I went to Storytellers, and this was last December 2019. Mm -hmm. The featured storyteller was Scott Mitchell. And it was holiday time, and the making Christmas lights were all out. I just slip into Grant's Lounge, and I just thought that all the stories were amazing. There were some people there that I like vaguely knew, and I learned more about them through their stories. It actually felt like it wasn't manufactured. Well, thank you, because that is the direction that uh, that I hope it goes into, and that everybody comes in and they just feel like it's a warm place to be. Um, so after I ambushed you, and I was like, I want to figure out a way to work with you, if that's okay. And then, weirdly enough, just about at the same time, um, the executive director of the Grand Opera House came to me and said, I'm what do you think would be a good idea of some kind of collaborative project we could do to apply for this grant? And I was like, storytellers make it. We <laughs> should do storytellers. Should ask, right. And so that's kind of how that happened. And then we sort of said, we need to talk to Corin and get her there. And then we planned this event that was radically different than what we're doing this year with the limited series. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we, we did. We'd sort of planned it before COVID times as being this like still intimate lounge style mm -hmm. event with less than 50 people all tucked away in our bar area. Mm -hmm. uh, and then COVID happened and we realized having people packing in together all cozy and, and comfortable was not well, it's case. not a thing anymore, yeah. right? That's that's just not possible. Which yeah. is which is one of the reasons we don't uh, we don't get to be at Grant's Lounge right now. Yeah, and why right now we're at our beautiful outdoor stage at Startup Studios. Mm -hmm. uh, and thank you so much to our board member Brian Beck for having us there and for having us here recording. Yeah. So after after COVID hit, uh, we realized that we were going to move the event into the theater, which is a thousand seat theater, uh, and so it it became 
this sort of like, how do we have these most elevated stories possible? And how do we really find the people that are most interesting in all corners of the world? But I think that with the podcast, the, the thought for me, and I'm sure it's the same for you, is that we're really wanting to like get that misunderstandings that people have about Macon as being really country or really in the middle of nowhere or and dangerous dangerous or, right, right we have that and perception not understanding problem. exactly not understanding the charm and seeing that that for what it is and seeing these stories that are to me so vivid about these moments um so that's what that's what really for me like the meaning of the podcast of what's what we're hoping to accomplish here um i know you'll hear more about the history of storytellers and the history of grant's lounge a lot more about that after the break Storytellers Presents is a free grassroots event on the second Tuesday of every month. Right now, we hold them outdoors and socially distanced behind startup studios at 1055 Riverside Drive in Macon, Georgia. Anyone can tell a five-minute story on the month's topic, and each month we have a featured storyteller. While we're outdoors, we will have fun things like fire pits, partnerships with local restaurants, s'mores, and more. Just like a concert in the park, bring your own chairs or blankets for an evening of stories and truth-telling. Socials start at 6.30 p.m. and stories start promptly at 7. Our next theme is That's Not My Name. Do you remember the first time you got mislabeled? We all have unique identifiers that we wear proudly. Maybe the story is behind what's written on our birth certificates or that weird nickname our niece came up with when she had trouble pronouncing her letters or the man on the street who called us sweetie in a little too sinister of a tone. Juliet Capulet may have said, what's in the name that which we call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet, but come on, that's bullshit. She probably didn't have the experience of every teacher stumbling over the pronunciation on the first day of class. At this Storytellers Presents, tell us about the names you've been given and the ones you've chosen. Take us on the cultural roller coaster of elation and heartbreak that comes when someone defined you wrong or called you a name you didn't want to hear. Show us the joy of hearing a new title bestowed on you for the first time. Join us behind Startup Studios to tell us who you are, no matter what other people think. Our feature storyteller is Weston Stroud, a born and bred Maconite who will tell you about how he tried and failed to be a SoundCloud rapper, a politician, a bartender, an artist, and how he's still kicking. Part four, the evolution of storytellers in Grant's Lounge. Welcome back to the heartbeat of Georgia. Our next storyteller is Ed Grant. Let me tell you a little bit about Ed Grant. Him and his sister Cheryl, a couple of years ago when I was looking for a home for storytellers, uh, basically welcomed me with open arms. Storytellers had been moving around. We, we started out at uh, Just Tapped, and Just Tapped grew out of us. It got a little bit loud there. We then moved to Roasted on 2nd Street, which was very, very cool, except for they closed. Uh, and so I was searching for a place that we could sort of move into very quickly. Uh, and, and so I called up Ed and Ed said, hey, meet my sister Cheryl. Uh, so for me, that's really exciting uh, because Grant's Lounge is legendary. I'm standing on a stage telling stories with the same longtime musicians, you know, that have been here for years. So, you know, the Otis Reddings, the um, Almond Brothers, uh, you know, uh, Leonard Skinnerd, you know, I, I'm I'm standing on this legendary stage that Newton Collier played on, and uh, I'm I'm getting to tell stories there. Just really think that 
if you ever have the opportunity to meet Ed and Cheryl and to understand their legacy and what their family has done, not only for uh, downtown Macon, but for the diversity in Macon, uh, you know, black and white coming together um, and then welcoming me in and, and the riffraff that I bring to storytellers, uh, you couldn't find a more welcoming and open place on the planet than Grant's Lounge. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Ed Grant and his story, this is what 50 looks like. Macon has always been magical. Music has always made Macon magical. We lost Martin Luther King in 1968, and a year before that, in December, we lost Otis. But in 1971, Mayor Ronnie Thompson, they called him Machine Gun Ronnie because he was a strict enforcer of the unwritten Jim Crow law that said it's unlawful for blacks and whites to gather together, to socialize together, to eat together, to shoot pool together, to play music together in public places. I was 16 years old. My sister, Cheryl, uh, was 17. I was uh, standing outside Grant's and Sugar Bear and Judy Young blonde, Sugar Bear's big black guy. It was standing outside talking, and these two police officers came by in a car. They pulled up the car and they jumped out and they threw Sugar Bear to the ground. They brutally assaulted him, arrested him, and they escorted Trudy to her, to her car. <clears throat> My dad, Edward Grant Sr., uh, they call him Grant. Some people call him Mr. Grant. But at 35 years old, Grant started an all-white bar in the middle of the Jim Crow South, where all the elite Southern whites from Idlewild Golf and Country Club would come and hear music and have fun. See, he started as a young caddy. I did I allow? Then he left and he went to, went to the army for three years, but he came back as the head bartender at Idlow. And anything you wanted to know about Idlow and the food or beverage business there, you would ask Grant. See, I remember my mother <clears throat> telling us one day, she said, Yo, Daddy wants to have a meeting in the living room. Now, we never go in the living room. Daddy barely comes to the kitchen. He's working all the time. So me, forgot about my sister Gaynell, who was 11 at the time. So we're sitting at this on the sofa, nervous because we don't know what we've done. It's probably something wrong. But Dad says, <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm thinking about going into business. I'm going to have to mortgage the house. You're going to have to tighten up your belt. We're not going to be able to take family vacations. We're going to have to work hard. See, Dad had good work ethics. He used to have picnics. I called them worknicks. Some families bond by playing sports. We bonded by working. I remember he brought a uh, basketball goal home, you know, and I'm like, I'm just a little kid. I'm like, wow, basketball goal. Only one in the community. And uh, the next day he brought this big box of penny wheel cookies and then he brought this Babe Ruth and Lay's potato chips and then a coin-operated Coca-Cola machine. Cheryl and I was in business. 
all the kids from the neighborhood. But uh, some of the investors out at Eilauer, uh, Chris Sheridan and several of his friends, senior that is, they decided to invest some money in the James Brown Gold Platter Restaurant. And guess who they wanted to manage it? Yep, they wanted Grant to manage it. They say to Grant, Grant, how do you keep your costs so low? Well, I know how you kept his costs low. See, at 3.15, Cheryl and I get out of school, and we go to work at James Brown Gold Platter. But Dad opened grants in 1971, and uh, if COVID permits, we will celebrate our 50th anniversary in February of next year. Thank you. <laughs> I, I was the cleanup man at Grants. I was the one that had to come in early. I'm just 17 years old, you know. But I was the cleanup person. I had to go in and mop the floor and everything, but Dad would leave me in there. And the band would have that Hammond organ sitting on the stage, and I loved playing keyboards. So I didn't get a lot of work done. But he hired somebody else to clean up and moved me over to bartender or dishwasher. See, dishwasher's always before bartender. First job as a dishwasher was to count cherries. Oh, man, what in the world, why in the world am I counting a jar, a, a gallon jar of cherries? Two cents a piece, that's what the value was. That's what he had to market his drinks up. That's what every businessman needs to know. What are your costs? Dad also being a good businessman, he knew he needed a front man. So while he was working at Barrel House Lounge, he hired his, not just his front man, but the face, what would be the face of Grant's Lounge. Her name was Elizabeth Graham. She was a white woman, but dad knew in this, this Jim Crow South what he needed to be out front. But man, when he opened Grant's, all the bands wanted to play at Grant's Lounge. I remember Wet Willie, lead singer, Jimmy Hall, he told uh, Troy Cardwell, man, you need to book Grants if you want Capricorn to hear you, book him at Grants. Macon has always had that magical experience when it came to music. See, uh, I remember <clears throat> the Southern Rockers when they would all be in town on a Wednesday. And the local band would be playing at Grants. You had Marshall Tucker in town, you had some of the brothers in town. And man, they would come in and they would start a jam session. Now nobody knew what they called it back then, but they would all get on stage, they would pick a key, they would set a groove, they'd relax. 45 minutes later, you go, wow. Music you'd never heard before, music you'd never hear again, but the journey of it and the experience of it is something that you just would never forget. Tom Petty played at Grants a whole week, hoping that Frank Fenter would come down and, uh, and hear him. But imagine this, same spot where they jumped on Sugar Bear four years later. Black limousine pulls up and Cher Bono steps out along with Greg Allman. They walk into Grant's. Cher takes a seat at the bar. Greg walks over to the stage and plays one song, Melissa. Music is what Macon, makes Macon magic. Mr. Al Bell came to Macon back in 2003. He said to me, he said, Ed, 
I don't know what it is about the water here in Macon, but you guys have the most, the best talent of a small town. See, Macon's a very small city, especially in, in the 70s. We had less than 50,000 people. But out of this small city, four artists, four artists on the Rock and Roll Hall, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, in four genres of music. Macon needs to understand the power of, of its music and that the sound of that music has mortality that lives forever. People hear Macon's music as I travel all over the world on cruises. You hear those four genres. Little Richard, rock and roll. Otis Redding, soul music. James Brown, funk music. The Allman Brothers, southern rock music. All claim Macon as their, as their home, all in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. A genre of music that's very unique to, to its time. That was between 68 and 78. It was a music jubilee around those four genres of music right here in Macon. So music is what makes Macon magic. In the next episode of the Heartbeat of Georgia podcast, we'll follow sisterhood with Mariana Ferlin. We'll talk front porches, backyard fires, women colleges, and sorority life, and the evolution of being a woman in middle Georgia over a lifetime. I'm Corin Young. And I'm Julia Rubens. The Heartbeat of Georgia is brought to you by Storytellers Making in collaboration with the Grand Opera House for a limited series. All the music for the live event and this podcast is written and performed by Justin Cutway. Storytellers Making believes that it is important for people to be able to share a part of themselves, and we believe that anyone can tell a story. Speak your truth. Storytellers Making administers Pulse, the heartbeat of Macon, a nonprofit organization supporting grassroots projects. The Grand is a historic theater that serves as a vibrant community assembly resource for the citizens of Macon, Bibb County, and as the Performing Arts Center of Mercer University. The Grand seeks to champion excellence as the premier theatrical venue in central Georgia. We want to thank Grants Lounge, our home prior to COVID-19, and Startup Studios, our current outdoor stage, and where we are recording this podcast. The Heartbeat of Georgia is co-directed and produced by Corn Young and Julia Rubens, and engineered and edited by Aaron Lee with assistance from Brian Beck. Additional storytellers making board of directors are George Cobble, Kevin Bradley, Anissa Muhammad, Lauren Beatty, and Tina Hunt along with Angel Colquitt and Claire Rivieri as our interns. Patrick Pritchard and Wendy Hamm advised this project. The production staff at the Grand Opera House includes Joe Patty, Julia Rubens, Nikki Vincent, and Bob Mavity. This program is supported in part by Georgia Council for the Arts through appropriations of the Georgia General Assembly and with funding from the National Endowment for the Arts. Further support comes from Macon Arts Alliance and the Community Foundation of Central Georgia. Tickets for our live event are at thegrantmakin.com. If you want to get more involved, you can find out more about Storytellers Macon at storytellersmacon.org or on our Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Storytellers Macon. As always, speak your truth.